Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the iTalk Credit Radio Show with your host, Ira Royal. Using financial literacy to inspire, motivate, and empower people to set and achieve goals in all aspects of life. Join us every Thursday evening starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Cat Builder Network. To be a guest or for more information, go to italkcredit.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the iTalk Credit Radio Show. This is your host, Ira Royal, and we're on for another episode where we use this platform to educate, empower, and inspire people to reach their goals. Whether you're an individual who's just dreaming of purchasing their first home, an entrepreneur who has dreams and visions of starting a business and needs startup funds, whether you're a recent grad thinking about purchasing a car, whether you're a retiree or veteran, this show is for you. This show is a, a platform to educate people um, no matter what walk of life you are in, no matter where you are in your credit lifestyle, we're here to help grow you. We're here to help educate you, educate you and inspire and empower you. We have a wonderful show ahead of us today. Um, you know, as much as I was excited about my first show, I'm even more excited about this show. We have two individuals that are coming on that are just absolutely amazing. Um, so we're going to start it off with um, Mr. Mick Todd. He's from Primacy Project Consulting. We're going to go into credit concepts where every week we have Quincy come on and tell us what they're doing in the community. Um, these guys just spoke at a, a forum this week, and it was absolutely amazing. It was just so inspiring. And then we're going to have Mr. Flim Thomas, uh, Flim Hollis, I'm sorry, from Hollis Capital Service. He's going to come in, and he's going to talk to us about his new venture. So we're going to quick, take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to start off the show. We're going to get right into it bring these amazing guests on, get you educated, get you informed and inspired. And then we're going to start on the new journey today, everybody. This is I Talk Credit on the Cat Builder Radio Show. Look how far. 
world complacent career student. Some people graduate, but be still stupid. They tell you, read this, eat this. Don't look around, just peep this, preach this, teach us, Jesus. Okay, look up now, they done sold your streetness. After all of that, you receive this. Good morning. Welcome back to the I Talk Credit Radio Show on the Cap Builder Network. This is your host, Iowa Royal. Again, where we educate, empower, and inspire people to reach their goals through credit literacy. The next guest I'm going to have on the show is going to be Mr. Nick Todd. I'll tell you a little bit about this individual. I was at a seminar this week, and I heard him speak. And uh, you, Have you ever been in a situation where you heard someone and they just commanded the entire room that every time they spoke a word, it was like lightning struck? This is this individual. Um, he's the founder of the Promacy Project. Um, he's a combat veteran that came out of Afghanistan. He was actually a combat medic in the Marines, deployed in 2009. He's ran an integrated financial planning practice for the last three years. Mr. Todd studied uh, economics at Georgia State. He graduated second in his class, Magnum Cum Laude. He's married with two kids, an Atlanta native, and he's just a wonderful individual. So, Mick, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you hear me? Yep, I can hear you just fine. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for having me. I was equally impressed by the light that shines in your mind as well. I appreciate it, man. I, I thank you. You know, I kind of talked about doing the show. You were just so eager to come on and, and willing, so I really appreciate it. Anytime anybody's able to take out time of their day just to come and educate the audience and and just give them wisdom and knowledge, that's always a great. I, I thank you for just being so willing to do so. Well, the funny, the funny thing about it is actually, Ira, is that promacy in and of itself, um, it's a word that's not used regularly anymore. And, and unfortunately, they say that the average American has 33% of the vocabulary of an individual who lived 100 years ago, which is a place where we're regressing. Um, but promacy in and of itself means importance. It means valuing intellectual and aesthetic over materialistic values. It means authority. Um, and I think those are all things that obviously we can use today, especially whether it be leveraging credit or whether it be leveraging our financial situation to try to improve our life. So, you know, ultimately we want to value intellect. We want to value, you know, our beliefs internally from a spiritual perspective, from a moral and social perspective, above what we're doing financially, but at the end of the day, what you're doing financially and professionally is how you keep score. It's just like that credit score. So, you know, we want to try to empower people, and it's more important to me to impact others because it grows that, you know, there's a multiplier effect to that as opposed to me just constantly focusing on myself. So today um, I'm unbelievably interested in, in having some dialogue with you and talking a little bit more about, you know, some higher-level financial concepts, 
Uh, we're certainly going to assume that everyone in the audience is able to keep up, and if for whatever reason they can't, that's why God made a dictionary and a thesaurus, and, and we can roll. Let's do it. Let's do it. See, I love them. Okay, so <laughs> there was one thing that you could share right now. Like if this one thing that pops out about financial literacy that you could say, hey, people, I don't care what you're doing in your life right now. I don't care where you are, but this one thing, and we know there's many, but this one thing you need to pay attention to and you need to jump on, what would it be for you? To me, I would say it's 90% behavioral. I would say I would say as much as there's metrics out there and as much as there's, you know, different implementations of different types of strategies that you can do to, to accumulate wealth, create income, um, gain access, liquidity, or to, you know, mitigate your tax burden, wh- whatever the case may be, the, the truth of the matter at the end of the day is it all stems from your behavior because wealth is created in the chasm that exists between your income and what you spend. Um, you know, everything everything that we consume, whether it be goods or services or entertainment or, you know, we all spend money. I freaking love to spend money. So I don't I don't try to tell people not to spend money, but you know, wealth is built in that chasm. Wealth is built in the difference between your expenses and your income, whether that be income as an entrepreneur, whether that be income in a linear fashion as an employer. I don't necessarily feel that that either of which is right or wrong. I just think it's a, it's the manner in which you um, deal with that gap. And then I would say that the other piece that is going to touch a lot of people's lives is going to be large lump sums of money. So, you know, as we develop and as we grow professionally and personally, financially, spiritually, there's going to be many times in your life where you come across $100,000 or $150,000 or $200,000, whether it be from an inheritance, whether it be from a life insurance policy in which you are the beneficiary, whether it be from, you know, refinancing your house or whether it be from signing a big contract. Um, the way in which we deal with large lump sums of money will enormously impact our wealth. Um you know, when you get into how are we managing that money, you start to get in. You're starting to get into how we dot the I's and cross the T's. You're starting to get into some more high-level discussion as it pertains to modern portfolio theory, or you know, pecuniary theory, or savings theory, or investment theory, and those things. You know, quite honestly, there's there's a plethora of experts in that space. And they all think they're right, and none of them listen to each other, right? So some people are all about mutual funds and no debt. Some people are all about index funds because they're passive and there's low fees. Some people are all about individual stocks. Some people are all about real estate. But the truth of the matter at the end of the day is, are you working your money, or is your money being consumed or sitting on the sideline? Yeah, I like that. You know, you mentioned wealth, and it's not that's a concept that we really do not talk about, you know, in certain circles. We talk about possessions. We talk about, you know, buying a new car or even buying a new home, but we don't talk about wealth. Touch on that for a little bit for me. What does wealth mean to you, and how would a person who's in school who knows nothing about the concept of wealth, what is something that they can just, you know, start on to really educate themselves on this concept of wealth? I would say first and foremost, I would say wealth is the creation of freedom. Um, there was a guy on a plane. I was 
coming back from Accra, which is in West Africa. It's in Ghana. It's one of the largest cities in Ghana. It may be the largest city in Ghana. And I was a best man in my adopted brother's wedding. We were on the Cape Coast in West Africa. And I was coming home, and I sat next to an individual. I don't remember his name for the life of me, but we had one of the best, you know, single-serving conversations of my life, as they say, and, and up in the air, it was it was certainly a single-serving conversation. And he said that, you know, true success is when you can't differentiate your work from your pleasure. And I just remember that striking me so incredibly deeply and trying to say, hey, what is it from a passion perspective? What is it from a why perspective that I can do to create freedom in my life? And ultimately, I think creating freedom in your own life as well. Um Again, the the way that we accumulate wealth is how we deal with the gap that exists between the money we take in and the money we put out. Uh, There's a million different ways to do it, Um, but to me, it's freedom at the end of the day. Man, that's serious. You know, I've never really heard it explained that way. That makes so much sense. That's like the whole concept of if you're doing something that's your passion and your purpose, you're not truly working. You know, you're actually doing something that you're supposed to be doing. And in my mind, I'm thinking if you're doing something that's in your purpose and that's your passion, then money will come, right? Those funds will be there because you'll be the best at it. Um, Another topic that you kind of mentioned was money management. Again, that's something that we talk about a lot. If you're in the bank, of course, you talk about that because you're going in for a reason. In schools, you don't really hear that concept of money management other than balance your checkbook. You know, well, what does that mean? Or, you know, if you're in banking – you know, try not to overspend. Don't get NSF fees. What does that really mean? But to you, yeah. Nick, money management, break that down for us a little bit. What does that mean to you? So I think you have to – first, I think you have to come to the realization that all every dollar doesn't have the same job. So you can have a dollar that's um, – and we're talking about discretionary dollars here. Ira. So we're talking about – Dollars that don't cover, you know, your kids getting fed and you're having shelter and clothes on your body. And we're talking about discretionary dollars, right? Dollars that get eaten up in the marketplace that may or may not be necessary. Um, So what you have to do is you've got to identify personally, one, what brings you utility, what brings you joy. You've got to craft a lifestyle that you can live with. But the second thing that you've got to do is understand that all dollars jobs are not to you know, go out in the marketplace and garner you a hundred percent return over three years. And all dollars jobs aren't there to protect your legacy or to create a tax free estate or all dollars jobs aren't created to create income or access or liquidity. Every aspect I mean the financial industry is first and foremost it's unbelievably regulated. Um and secondly it's unbelievably diverse. And, and, and this is a word that's unbelievably overused. It's like saying leverage in a corporate boardroom to try to sound smart. I mean, diversification is overused and misunderstood. So what is diversification, right? Because money management, let's assume that you have one of three goals. Accumulation, you want rate of return, you want growth on your money. Income, which would be second, I want to create income and retirement so I have security and stability. And then three is the transgenerational transfer of wealth. So I want to leave more behind than I came into. And I would say that those are the three most important financial goals to people. Well, there's mechanisms to achieve those three things, but they're all very different. So I think money management is identifying 
how do we achieve each of these goals and then how do we allocate those resources to those goals? So as it pertains to accumulation, we'll just start there because that's the sexy part and that's what everyone's interested in. Um, there's non-distinct asset classes in the marketplace. You may have heard, you know, several years ago, people talking about, well, 97% of money managers didn't beat the S&P 500. Well, that's, that's a real cute thing to say if you don't understand anything about modern portfolio theory, U.S. stock. That represents one of the non-asset classes. So, and it was the highest performing asset class last year. So anyone with a well-diversified portfolio did not beat the S&P 500. So the, you know, the inclination that they were trying to get out of people or the thought that they were putting in people's mind is the folks managing your money have no idea what they're doing because they didn't even beat the S&P index. But the truth of the matter is, is 97% of the people were doing the right thing because 97% of the individuals managing that money were, had it well diversified across asset classes. You've got things like commodities, real estate, you got small cap, you got mid cap, you got emerging global markets, established global markets, you've got currency, fixed income. These are all places that people put money. And the truth of the matter is they put money there because they're trying to develop and build a machine. They're trying to build a machine that um, accounts for risk, accounts for time horizon, that lowers standard deviation and risk, and maximizes returns. So what you want to build is an efficient frontier into all of those things. Um, and people get caught up in the sauce, man. It's just like anything politically or socially. It's the same financially. Like people get so caught up in the sauce. It's like, no, man, this part of your income is for transgenerational wealth transfer. This part of your income is to create income and retirement. This part of your money management is, is to go out there and make as much money in the marketplace. This part of your money is to create a real estate portfolio for you. And what's hard, to, what's hard to grasp is that those things are all designed and work best when they're intertwined and they're working together, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Um, it makes a lot of sense, actually. You know, for people who are listening who are um, – it doesn't even matter how old you are. I don't care if you're young, if you're old middle age, and they think all everything that they're talking about is for people who have money. I can't invest. I can't have stocks. I can't have mutual funds. I can't invest in real estate. Talk to us about no matter where you are in your walk of life, you can always make the decision to invest, not only in yourself, but invest in something that's going to gain you some type of return on your investment. Talk to us about you know, just the, getting away from the idea that you have to have millions of dollars to invest your money. I mean, there's a lot of stories out there, man. There's so many, like, crazy stories about, you know, janitors that worked at GE in, like, the 60s and put, like, 25% of their money in GE and retired with, like, 10 12 $13 million and lived on the other 80%. I mean, the truth of the matter is is that, you know, I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to dispel those myths. I try to be someone who's relatively centric and rational in nature. The truth of the matter is what you're earning is the, is the fuel that you're putting in your car. Right, so think of it like your car. If you're putting 93 grade in your car premium, you know it's going to run a little bit better than putting 87 reg in it. So the income is the fuel. So you can't get away from the motivation to earn more income. And what I would say to individuals on the income side is, I would say that from nine to five, if you're trading your time for money, 
you need to get it's about the money. You need to get paid. Right? So if you're if you're not living out your your passion, if you're not living out your dreams, if you're exchanging your time for money in the marketplace, then it's it's simply and basically about the money. So you need to make decisions about the money. If you have an opportunity to go somewhere else for 20% more, you go. If you have an opportunity to go somewhere 30% more, you go, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the income side. If you're unhappy and you're trading your time for money, it's about the money. Now, if you're living out your wife, you're living out your passion, then, then the wealth is created through freedom and it's created through impact, and that's a conversation that we're not going to get into today. But I'm not going to sit here and say income is not important. Income is important. And if you're managing income, you need to try to make as much money as you can. The second thing that you have to do is you got to be disciplined. You can make really low income and create an unbelievable high net worth. Uh, ultimately, net worth is the difference between your assets and liabilities. Um, you know, truthfully, 93% of transgenerational wealth is passed through insurance. Um, it's a trick that the wealthy have known for a really long time is that you can tax efficiently pass wealth from one generation to another through insurance because of laws in the tax code. You cannot do that through you know, traditional qualified planning, which has only been around since 1979, by the way. So it's really relatively semi-unproven by time. Um, but the most, to answer your question, Ira, and not get on a tangent, the most important some, thing someone can do starting out is build high-quality credit so they're able to leverage money when they get the opportunity. The second thing that's unbelievably important to that individual is how they deal with large chunks of money when they come into their life. And the third thing, which may be the most important, but just the one that came to my mind, is just creating a habit around savings. Napoleon Hill talks about in The Law of Success being a habitual saver. But he also has an abundant mentality. He's not someone who's like, you know, Dave Ramsey or someone who's like Susie Orman who says, constrict, constrict, constrict. You know, build a fence around your pool. Don't let your kids go near the pool. You know, Napoleon Hill is someone who says, hey, teach your kids how to swim. So, you know, he's the type of person that says, hey, invest in your wardrobe, invest in your transportation, because you never know when your boss may be getting in your car. But, you, you know, you've got to do these things selectively. And there's, there's an old saying in my business, as you're building an integrated financial practice, practice or a consultancy firm, is take it till you make it. Because, because nobody wants to spend money with somebody that doesn't look like they have money. But at the same time, you've got to be – an individual who is aware of your expenses, and you you don't just spend a whole bunch of money you don't have. You just get kind of good at faking it so people will trust you to do what you know you're capable of doing. So you've got to manage so many different things to answer your question. But the, the most important thing you can do is save 20% of what you make. What you do with the other 80% is irrelevant. If you take the 20% and you cut it in half because you tithe and because that's important to you, and you want to give church or ten percent to charitable things, then you do that. You know, and I don't pu- I don't push that on my clients. I say, hey, do you currently tithe? Is there something that's important to you? Do you feel like it's something that you're called to do that you need to do? Yes. Okay, great. You need to save twenty percent of your money. Ten percent goes to that. Ten percent needs to go to your plan. What you spend the other eighty percent on to me, Ira, is irrelevant. Oh wow! You know what? I appreciate you bringing up that, you know, the concept of just tithing or giving to charities or uh, causes because a lot of times when we're talking about investing or creating wealth or getting money, that never gets thrown into the conversation. It's, you know, save as much as you can or make as much as you can and 
and, and spend wisely, but we never talk about giving. We never talk about serving, and I think that's really important when it comes to building any type of wealth or any type of behavior or habit. So I appreciate you for bringing that up. So I guess the yeah, last thing I want to touch on with you um, today, Mick, is, you know, life insurance. And I'm glad you brought life insurance up because that's something that we don't talk about a lot either. And for a lot of people, they look at life insurance as this conversation and they don't, they don't want to have, they don't want to talk about their death, they don't want to even think about that. What would you tell the listeners that, hey, look, this is something that you need to invest in, this is something that you, if you need to get more information in, where do you go to get information, and why is it really important to us that we invest in ourselves through life insurance? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, you just got to put yourself in the position if you're not if you're not an individual who's capable of sitting down and saying, "Hey, what does life look like with me if I'm not here?" You know, I mean, first and foremost, you got to have something that you love and care about more than yourself because in my opinion, in my experience, it's going to be the most selfless purchase that you ever make because in a lot of cases, in most cases, you know, you're not seeing any benefit from the purchase because it's made to secure individuals, things, organizations, people, kids, husbands, wives, partners that you care about unconditionally. So you're trying to secure their future as if you were there. So in the midst of all this stress and drama that they're dealing with, they're not dealing with financial stress and drama either. It allows individuals time to recoup, and then it allows individuals time to heal. But most importantly, it protects what you're trying to build from a legacy perspective. Um, my father told me a long time ago, you know, we have this rule in our house. It's called add a zero. So basically what my dad said is my, I'm the firstborn son, and this is going to differ in all families. I'm not trying to give you any hierarchical structure. Or I'm just telling you how it is in my house. So my father told me that I was the eldest son. I'm the eldest child of three. He said, Mick, all you have to do is add a zero. And what he meant was that if his net worth was 100000 then I would take us to a million. If his net worth was a million, I would take us to 10. And if his net worth was 10, I would take us to 100. Whether it was 30 million or 40 million, as long as I got to 100, I've added a zero. And it's a concept that really permeates my family. And I think it's a concept that permeates some cultures more than others. Um, and I think it comes back to kind of that rich dad, poor dad thought, because at the end of the day, from a tax perspective, from a planning perspective, there's no more effective way on earth to pass money down than insurance. Money passed down through 401ks, money passed down through IRAs, money passed down through brokerage accounts. From an estate planning perspective, yes, they are deferred from tax under $5.5 million currently for spouses but they're not deferred from Uncle Sam when they cross generations. And there's certain people that know that, and there's certain people that don't. And there's certain people that utilize that, and there's certain people that don't. So that's the estate and wealth building side. From the personal side, if I, I've got an 8 o'clock meeting tonight. I've got to, when I get off this call, I've got to go down to Harper Street in Old Fourth Ward and do an 8 o'clock meeting, and then I've got an 8.45 in Buckhead. If I, get a car, if I get in a car accident tonight and I die, my income for my family and the benefits that I carry for them are gone. And I have to ask myself, me personally, as a man, 
what do I want to happen for my three-year-old daughter and my one-year-old daughter and my wife if, God forbid, I don't come home tonight? And the answer to that question is going to be different for everybody. And it's hard for something to invest in, unfortunately, because the industry is so jacked up. I mean, just to be transparent and straight, you got a bunch of guys in suits out there that didn't make it anything else, hawking life insurance as financial planning and not going through a full process with you and not trying to diversify you and, you know, calling you 25 times a day or whatever the case may be, and it's gotten this bad vibe, and so now it's like it's unimportant. And then you have the Dave Ramseys and the Susie Ormas of the world. It's like the biggest idiots have the loudest microphones, and, like, all of us with some sense are out here on this podcast. And and it's unfortunate because because it's misinformation. Um, I would say that the things that you want to protect as an income earner in your household would be income. You want to protect your income for a period of time, at least to get your kids to college. I think that if you care about paying for your kids' college education, you might want to protect their college education. And you might want to protect any outstanding debt liabilities in the house. So you might want to say, hey, you know, what's going to be impactful if, I, if I'm no longer here? Well, if I can pay off all the debt that the family has, if I can supplement my income for my wife or my husband or my partner to raise our kids, if I can, you know, secure a college education for my offspring so that they're going to be successful, then I think I've probably got the right amount of insurance. It's not 10 times your income or 20 times your income or five times your income. Sometimes it is, how much can I afford? Sometimes it's literally, how much can I afford? Like, give me as much as I can for $15 a month. Sometimes it's that. But there's no right or wrong. If you have four kids, you need more life insurance than if you have one kid. And some, you know, idiot perspective on just 10 times your income is is ridiculous. And you want to place coverage outside of your employer because that benefit is tied to your employment with that company. So, you know, you got health insurance, life insurance, income protection, 401K. Now, the 401K can travel, but, but all that protection can't travel with you. So if you're ever in a place where you're unemployed for three months, I mean, God forbid something happens to you, it's a catastrophe. So I think it's the fundamental rudimentary first step in financial planning. I think for people that in general that have incomes under 190000 joint, and in general, not always, and in general who have – under 120,000 of individual income that generally, generally term insurance is, is the way to go. Generally uh, for individuals who are single, who have make over 120,000 and individuals who are married, who have a joint income above 190, which are the current codes for the IRS. I would say those individuals would need to be looking at possibly creating an overfunded life insurance policy for, um, you know, for safe accumulation of dollars and tax efficiency purposes as well as legacy. Um, but every every individual and every situation is different. Um, but to me, it's the first step in protecting your future because you're securing it is all I would say. Wow. Nick, man, you, you, again, you don't disappoint, man. You gave us a lot of information tonight, a lot of valuable information. I know it kind of shook me up. Um, if you're on this call, and you, I mean, I'm showing you're, head of your household, you know, what other thing, what is more important than making sure that your household is secure if something happens to you? That's just a real conversation. It's a real conversation that not a lot of us have. Um, you know, we're not trying to be pessimists, 
But one thing's for sure is we are going to die. We're not going to live forever. And when you do, what kind of legacy will you leave behind? And we're not just, you know, we're talking about money, but it's not only about money. Like what are you leaving behind to show what you did while you were on this earth? So, Mick, man, I really appreciate you joining the show today. Um, you know, thank you so much for just your valuable and vast amount of knowledge and your passion for what you do. I can hear it in your voice, and you don't find that everywhere. Um, so I appreciate you, man, and I hope this is not the last time you stop by the show. No, man, never. Connect to your why, people. you got to connect to your why. You know, my why is complex, but do that. Love you, Ira. I love what you're doing, man, and everybody have a fantastic Thursday evening. Thank you, Mick. Appreciate it. That was Nick Todd. I mean, just a wonderful, wonderful individual. Lots of information. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to bring on Credit Concepts for a couple of minutes to talk about what they're doing. You're listening to I Talk Credit, Cat Builder Radio Network. We'll be right back. I ain't much of Casanova. Me and Romeo ain't never been friends. Can't you see how much I'm really loving? Gonna sing it to you time and time again. Welcome back to the iTalk Credit Radio Show. This is your host, Ira Royal. We're going to bring on Quincy from Credit Concepts right now. He's going to give us some information about what they're doing in the community, talk a little bit about their credit challenge. He's on every week, and, you know, what I can say about Quincy, I, I just saw him on this week on a uh, um, seminar, and, you know, he just 
he inspires me. He always inspires me to do more, to do better, to be involved, and just bring my A game. So, Quincy, welcome to the show. Hey, Ira, how's it going? I'm doing good, man. How about you, brother? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem, man. Anytime. I appreciate you joining. Tell us a little bit about this credit challenge. I'm seeing it everywhere on social media, LinkedIn, websites. What's going on? Yeah, well, what we found is uh, when it comes to this whole credit world, um, you know, it's always the elephant in the room. So what we decided to do was partner up with some individuals who weren't afraid to be transparent and just issue that challenge, you know. Take the credit challenge, put yourself in a position uh, to be, you know, financially empowered, to have your credit in a position to, you know, start getting those approvals that you may have always wanted if your objective is to buy a home or to get a car. Um, we decided to put two people at the forefront of the challenge who's pretty recognizable in the you know, entertainment world um, so they can kind of help break down that barrier and kind of make it a little bit comfortable for individuals to embrace their issues and do something about it. Um, when they accept the challenge, depending on who they accept the challenge from, there's opportunities to win prizes, to win a chance to meet some of our celebrities that are involved in the challenge. So it's a very, very exciting time. You know, challenge typically is going to end uh, within probably the next 30 to 60 days. Um, so we definitely want listeners to take advantage. Uh, we have brought in on uh, Mr. Donnie Savage. He's an Internet sensation, a real estate mogul. He's, uh, you know, he's putting himself out there, uh, being transparent. Uh, he has a huge following. Uh, so we were able to issue some discounts uh, going through um, going through his channel. Um, we've also got an uh, individual by the name of Q Parker. People may remember him from the uh, group 112. Um, him and his wife has accepted the credit challenge or the couple's credit challenge. Um, and they're just inspiring and using their platform to get as much people as they can to, you know, take advantage of uh, of the discounted services that they offer. That's wonderful. You know, um, one thing that when I heard you this week that you talked about was, you know, the fear of someone pulling your score. And that, you know, that really hit home for me because in a different part of my life, I remember going through a season where I did not want anyone to pull my score. I don't care if it was for a job. I don't care if it was for a loan. You know, it was a fear of mine, and it held me back from trying to, um, tackle a lot of opportunities. And I look at this credit challenge as, hey, look, no matter where you are, no matter what your score is, there's something you can do about it. Are you willing to take this challenge? Are you willing to stop being fearful of three scores, do something to impact that, and move forward? So I appreciate you, you know, challenging people to take this next step in their life because it's very important. Definitely, and I agree. And, you know, and again, it was just a way to – to kind of break down that that stigma, get people engaging in conversation. You know, we know that, you know, once people obviously, you know, depending on, you know, who that, you know, celebrity figure is, you know, people kind of pay a little bit more attention, you know. So it was just a creative way to say, hey, listen, you know, it's, it's nothing to be ashamed about. You know, as long as you're being proactive to do something about it, then, you know, you can always be in position to change your current situation, especially if it's not where you want it to be. You know, you should be ashamed if you don't do anything about a credit situation. We don't fault you for having bad credit. We just fault you for knowing it and not doing anything about it. That's right. Quincy, how can we contact you? How can the listeners take advantage of this challenge? What can they do to change their life with your services? Well, what they can do, um, they can go to either one of our 
celebrity ambassadors uh, websites. That's uh, DonnieSavage.CreditConcepts.com. Again, that's www.D-O-N-N-Y-S-A-V-A-G-E.K-R-E-D-I-T-K-O-N-C-E-P-T-S.com. No, that was a lot, but uh, but that's Mr. Donnie Savage's page. And then, if you're a couple interested in taking the challenge, you can go to Q and Shaw Parker dot creditconcepts dot com, and that's Q A N D S H A R dot K R E D I T K O N C E P T S dot com. Or you can just go and if you're just interested in just finding out where you where you are and just want to know a little bit about what position you're in, then we offer a free credit evaluation that'll kind of position you to kind of have you really understand your credit situation. And you can go to www.creditconcepts.com, create an online account for free, and get access to what we call a client portal that will simplify where you stand. And then once you uh, understand where you stand, then we can have uh, some representatives kind of walk you through what your options are. Perfect, perfect. Hey, Quincy, again, thank you. Every week you come on and give us a lot of valuable information and point us to where we need to go. So I appreciate it, man, and you have a wonderful week, and keep on doing what you're doing, man. Thank you for having me. No problem. All right, that was Quincy with Credit Concepts. We're going to take a really short break. Um, we're not going to hear the whole voice in this song. It's one of my favorite voices in this song. But when we come back, we're going to have Mr. Slim Hollis. He's joining the show today. He's going to talk to us about his new venture, Hollis Capital Services, a little bit about his past and where he's going in the future. You're listening to I Talk Credit on Cat Builder Network. We'll be right back. Welcome back to I Talk Credit on the Cat Builder Network. This is your host, Ira Royal. What we're going to do now is we're going to bring to the show, on the show, Mr. Flynn Thomas. He is he's just an amazing individual. Last year I had the pleasure of, of, I was in the same seminar that he was in, but just hearing him speak um, about the vast knowledge that he has in retail investment and small business banking. He has over 30 years in sales and sales management, um, about 16 years in investment in retail banking, and what's the, the most interesting thing about Mr. Um, Hollis is he just won the President's Lifetime Achievement Award from Mr. Barack Ob- President Barack Obama. Um, so he just launched his new business venture, which is called Hollis Capital um, Services. And, Flem, how you doing, sir? 
I'm doing good. Good evening. Thank you for having me on this evening. Thank you for blessing us with your presence. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I look kind of through some of the things that you've done in your um, history of just being an employee, working for banks, um, you know, sales managing, sports entertainment, you, football player. You've done a lot. Um, you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, a little bit about your past, what motivates you, and then tell us about this new venture, Hollis Capital Services, and what you're doing in the community. Right, right. Well, good. Well, thank you again uh, for hosting the show, and thank you for having me on. And those who are listening, I really appreciate your time this evening because I know we all have busy lives. So uh, hopefully I can bring some value uh, to the conversation this evening about some of the things that I've done in the past and some of the things that I'm doing going forward. Um, just quickly, I am an Atlanta native. I'm born and raised right here in Atlanta, went to high school over at Thorough High School on the southwest side of Atlanta, uh, and then uh, left there and got a scholarship at Oregon State University uh, to play football, and I played football out there for four years uh, and then moved back to Atlanta. And, and it's kind of interesting because we never know what life holds for us and, and what our journey is. I uh, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I always knew, and I kind of laugh about this now because it's, uh, it relates to what I'm doing now, but I had this vision uh, when I was a lot younger, is I always wanted to be a businessman where I could go out and help people uh, succeed and help them reach their goals, whatever those goals or objectives were. So I kept that in the back of my mind as I was playing sports because I knew I couldn't play sports forever, uh, but I knew I wanted to give back the community as well as help others succeed and do some of the things that they want to do uh, as far as their business career is concerned. Um, again, my background is in telecommunications as well as um, the uh, finance industry uh, as well as sports and entertainment. Uh, I did do some uh, agent representation out there for a couple of years for NFL and NBA. Uh, that was very challenging to say the least, uh, but I learned a lot from it. But, again, what I, I kept in mind is always how can I reach back and help someone based on the knowledge that I have and sharing that knowledge with them. So that led me to get into the uh, financial industry uh, with a couple of different banks uh, from the investment side, Oppenheimer, First Investors Corporation, then I did some commodity trading for a while, uh, and then I got into uh, what we call retail traditional banking uh, by way of management, if you will, running uh, different financial centers here in Atlanta with a couple of startup banks. But what has stuck with me all this time is working with that small business owner. Um, and you know this country we live on is driven by the small business owner, so we must take care of that small business owner because it's going to help continue to drive our economy. And so, you know, I wanted to work closely with them, and I did, uh, working in the banking industry. But a couple of things stood out to me the most is that the small business owner was looking to have access to funding or raising capital or looking for private investors, angel investors, crowdfunding, you name it, they were looking for those avenues to help grow their business. And traditionally, they're going to come to the banks first because they have those relationships with the bank. 
And unfortunately, uh, and this, you know, it's, it's not good or bad. It's just the way that traditional banking now uh, is, is, is running their business, and rightfully so. Uh, you know, post-2007, when the market crashed, a lot of things changed uh, in mortgage and investments, the whole nine yards. So banks now are more um, uh, less risk takers than ever before. The key to banking now and lending money, because banks are lending. You hear out in the marketplace, well, banks are not lending anymore. Yes, banks are lending, but the criteria has changed. The rules of the game has changed post-2007, and they're all trying to mitigate their risk when they're lending money. Do you, in your opinion, um, mm-hmm. do you think that the pressure – the new regulations and the pressure to mitigate risk has really dampened the spirits of a lot of business owners, basically telling them, hey, look, you know, if all of my ducks are not in a row in my personal life or even in my business, then I will not be able to get a business loan to expand my business or to um, create, create other revenue streams in my business. Do you think that environment that we're in now, is a good place for small businesses to actually thrive and grow. It is, uh, 100% sure. The key to now is we've got to make sure that we're doing our preparation work. We've got to make sure that our businesses that we're running or starting up, that we're crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's and understanding what it means to have a relationship with a bank understanding what it means to have access to capital. It's almost like having access to credit. You know, I talk a lot about having access to capital and what does that mean to the small business owner. The day that you walk into a bank now and say, hey, you know, I need a loan for $50,000. I've been in business for three, five years. You know, my word is bond. Those days are over because at the end of the day, and I, and I say this very strongly, but I joke about it a lot, and my teaching is that banks want to know three things. The first thing they want to know is what is your plan A to pay me back? Then the second thing that they want to know, what is your plan B to pay me back? And then lastly, the third thing is if plan A and B doesn't work, what is your plan C to pay me back? That's the bottom line uh, as far as banks trying to mitigate their risk and making sure that they feel comfortable of lending money to small businesses, that they have the capacity to pay that money back to the bank and at the same time sustain their business and grow. So if you're a small business owner and you're creating a startup, this is a new idea. I'll take Uber, for example, because I'm I'm thinking thinking of Uber, and before Uber was this multi billion dollar um, company, it was an idea. Mm-hmm. It was a vision. Mm-hmm. So a, right. a owner who comes to the bank and they're saying, hey, look, I have this vision. I believe in it. I think this will be the next big thing. What do they need to do? Because guess what? They don't have any revenue right now, right? They, right. they might have a really mm-hmm. good business plan, but they have no revenue. They, they might not even have any collateral. What can they do mm-hmm. to position mm-hmm. themselves to get that loan to fund that dream? Well, you know, in some cases, not all cases, but you may want to look at your, your portfolio and look and see what you have as far as assets are concerned. You know, I'll give you a quick example. There are some cases where 
you may have a small business owner that needs ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars to start a business or sustain a business for a period of time to grow, uh, they may have equity in a home. You follow me? Or they may have uh, a full title of a home, some type of uh, collateralization that they can use that will help mitigate the risk to the bank to say, okay, this person may not have $100,000 in gross revenue per year, but this person has the ability to borrow against their home. They've got assets that they can pledge, and as your uh, as your first host said, they can leverage those assets in order to get some of the funding that they're needing to get. Banks want to know is what skin are you going to put in the game because they're going to share some skin with you, but they want to know is how serious are you about putting skin into the game. Um, so there are creative ways that we can accomplish our goals as far as raising capital or getting uh, funding, but, again, it, it starts at the beginning and understanding the preparation and being prepared to walk into that loan officer's office and say, hey, I need capital, and this is the reason why I need capital, and this is my plan A, B, and C on how I'm going to pay you back. Makes sense. You know, in today's mm-hmm. age, you have a lot of options, right? So just mm-hmm. like you stated before, you know, the, the way – the channel of going to a traditional bank and asking for a loan, whether you're a startup or whether you're a business, is not the only channel right now. Talk to us about right. other options that people have that they need to be aware of and that they need to use if they're looking at right. um, getting some type of lending. Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, and this is what prompted me to start Hollis Capital Services because I knew, unfortunately, that I would say industry-wide maybe 73 to 80% of uh, loans that are trying to get approved through a traditional bank are not being approved. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. You know, keep in mind, traditional banking is a great thing, and that's not a bad thing. However, that small business owner that's not being able to walk into a traditional bank to get approved is going to look for secondary lending opportunities. And this is where uh, my business has come into play, and it's extremely gratifying and overwhelming because there are a lot of small businesses out here that are looking for that capital or funding to continue to sustain their business. So you have what we call secondary lenders uh, out in the marketplace. You have private investors, you have investors, you have uh, resources where you can go and reach other avenues of revenue, uh, or I'm sorry, capital or funding without necessarily going into a traditional bank. Most secondary lenders have numerous relationships with people such as myself where they're looking for us to uh, get out into the marketplace, talk to a lot of small business owners, and help them, help the awareness of providing capital and lending to them from a second, secondary standpoint, because it used to be what secondary lending was, 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 was a dark cloud that you didn't want to go into. Those days are not no longer. Secondary lending gives you options that a traditional bank may or may not give you to continue to sustain and run your business. I was going to speak on that. Um, Mr. Hollis, mm-hmm. that, you know, 
that word secondary lending, well, that's uh, you know you're using you're hearing that word a lot now. But before you would hear things yes. like shark, right, loan shark. You would right. hear things like exactly. alternative lending or venture capitalists or something like that. Well, people really didn't really understand what they would do. It was a misconception mm-hmm. that they wanted to take your business, take your funds, and using it for their own personal gain. Tell us how that right. kind of changed now. Where it's good to look at these other organizations who can provide you some type of alternative lending options, and it can really help your business grow. Talk about that transition from that dark place to now it's an option that's on the table that every business owner needs to consider. Right, yeah. Uh, you know, basically what that looks like is, and the advantages of it, is if you go get secondary lending just to say from uh, ABC Company, and, you know, your credit challenge on a personal side, You've only been in business for maybe less than five years. Your cash flow is not to where you want it to be or where we want it to be. Secondary lendings, will they have more flexibility to work with your cash flow, more flexibility to work with your credit score, and more flexibility to work with the industry that you're in. There's still some prohibited industries that they won't fund, but for the most part, they're pretty much fund anything um, but in, in that sense, they are giving you access to capital, but yet at the same time, their grading criteria is not as strict as it is in a traditional banking. And at the end of the day, the main goal is to help sustain your business by giving you access to funding and capital. So, you know, for an example, your rates may be a little bit higher because you are credit challenged, Okay the money that you're borrowing may be a little bit more expensive because you are maybe a little higher risk than norm, if you will. And then your cash flow, uh, as far as your business is concerned, is not kind of where they want it to be uh, as far as uh, an annual revenue is concerned. So there's some, you know, some high-risk questions there, but yet at the same time they want to fund you and they want you to be successful but it may cost you a little bit more money initially than it would if you went to a traditional bank. So you take that and you build that relationship with that ABC company and you pay back that loan on time or before time if you can. Now all of a sudden that same bank is saying, hey, we would like to fund you more money because you've taken care of the money that I've given you. Now your credit score has gone up. You've shown a good track record of paying back a loan, whether it's a line of credit or a term loan. So now if you walk into, uh, let's just say, a Fidelity bank, you can go to that loan office and say, hey, listen, I've done what I need to do. I've done my due diligence. Here's where I was in the past. Here's where I am now. Now I'm ready to get funding from you at a good interest rate because my credit score is good and the money that you're going to lend me is not going to cost me a fortune. That makes sense. You know, what I'm hearing from you right now is it's no, I won't say it's no excuse, but you have so many options and variables to your benefit right now as a business mm-hmm. owner that you really need to tap into. You know, you can Absolutely. look at some free marketing, Instagram, free marketing, Facebook, free marketing. You have companies out here that will look past your, you know, your credit score. Of course, it's going mm-hmm. to be counted, but it's not the only thing that matters. And they're willing That's to take exactly a chance right. to help you you know, fund your business and to really strive to meet your goals and to accomplish your dreams. It's a good time to be an That's entrepreneur right. right now. And I'm glad oh, that you're really company, is. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you're in a position that you're in with your relationships to help people do that. Uh, so tell us just a little bit specifically about your organization. Like, 
what are you doing? Like, how can they reach you? Or, you know, what makes you different from anybody else in well, terms of know, alternative lending? A, a couple of things is, you know, I've built banking relationships over the years. Um, didn't burn any bridges. I've worked with some very strong lenders over the years. I've, I've met very strong underwriters. I understand the position that banks are in, and I do understand that the fact that they do want to lend to you, but what they're asking small businesses is just make sure you do your due diligence, you have a business plan in place, you have a strategy in place to pay that money back and to grow your business. So what I do and what kind of separates me to maybe someone else is the length of time I've had these banking relationships the fact that I know and understand what the underwriters want to hear. See, you tell me your story about your business, I'll clean it up, I'll dress it up, and I'll tell it to the underwriters even better than what you told me because I know the lingo and the language that they want to hear, and I know how they want to mitigate their risk. So I bring that experience to the table, uh, and I have those relationships out in the banking world uh, that kind of sets me aside and then I also have the ability to do secondary lending from a small business perspective as well as, which is very a hot um, topic now, is landlord investing. You have now the market is changing. Mortgage-wise, people are now buying, holding, selling, flipping houses. Now we can finance that deal under your business name uh, versus your personal name, and that was unheard of years ago. So I've got, you know, a smorgasbord of products and services that I offer my clients based on my experience in banking, my understanding of the economy and where banking is going, and then yet at the same time having those resources that I can kind of tap into to help uh, fund their project. You know what? Everybody that's listening, listen right quick. You have somebody who knows the lingo. Part of a big part of being successful is preparation. It's being proactive. It's education. And you have somebody right here who knows what the underwriters are asking for. They know the buzzwords, the keywords. They know the, the cash flow terminologies. They know the ROI terminologies. They know about the relationship, about the reserves. Everything that the underwriters want to look at this deal and say, okay, you know what? They have done some planning. Um, they have plan A, plan B, C, and D. And I think that we want to take a chance on this and lend them money. If you have somebody on your team, and I think it's, a, it's huge if you're in a business to have a team that can actually walk you through those steps and help prepare you for success, why wouldn't you take advantage of it? I mean, that's like you, you wouldn't go into a war without a strategy. So why would you sit in front of a banker? Why would you sit in front of anybody don't have some type of strategy and being proactive and understanding exactly what they want from you? Because at the end of the day, like you said, Mr. Hollis, they have an agenda. They want their money back. You know, they want to be marketed as a bank who really cares about small businesses, so I think your services is ideal and really key for this day of age. We need stuff like that. Yes, yes, definitely, definitely. And, I, and again, I appreciate the platform of kind of sharing, uh, you know, some of my experience with your audience uh, because, again, small business is what's going to continue to drive this country. We have a new president in, in place now. He's making some changes with the small business uh, from a small business perspective but we got to understand what's going on so we can take full advantage of it in years to come. That's right. That's right. 
Mr. Hollis, I appreciate you joining the show today. Um, you know, just just go on. I mean, I look on your LinkedIn and having conversations with you, but you know what you're doing is amazing, and I applaud you from taking that jump because I mean, you've been in the banking industry for so long. You know, I know that you have all these relationships. You probably can go anywhere you want to, but you made the choice to serve. You made the choice right. to say, hey, it's not just about me, but it's about how I can help other people. And I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you guys, man. And, and I enjoyed the show, and I look forward to time to come. Thank you, sir. All right, you're listening to I Talk Credit. That was Mr. Slim Hollis. He is the principal owner of Hollis Capital Services. Please look him up. He's a great asset to have if you're an entrepreneur, even if you're not an entrepreneur, just to learn from him. I mean, he's been there. He's done it. He knows the lingo. He has the connection. Add him to your list of contacts. Add him to your team. You won't go wrong by doing it. We're going to take a little bit of break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to do death to the credit score, and we're going to talk about the cost of credit. After that, we're going to wrap it up, and, you know, as always, I just appreciate all the support, all the listeners. I hope you've enjoyed the, the guest interviews for today. Again, take a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to I Talk Credit, Top Builder Network. Self-conscious. That's why you always see me with at least one of my watches. Rollies and posses and drove me crazy. I can't even pronounce nothing. Pass that for safety. Then I spent 400 bucks on this. Just to be like, you ain't up on this. And I can't even go to the grocery store without some ones that's clean and a shirt with a team. We live in the American dream. The people high up got the lowest self-esteem. The prettiest people do the ugliest thing. For the roads to riches and diamond rings. Cause they the greatest We tryna buy back our 40 acres And for that paper look how low we a scoop Even if you in a band you still in the coop Come on, come on And when it falls down who you gonna call now Come on, come on And when it all falls down I say the police that's how I treat them We buy a way out of jail but we can't buy freedom We buy a lot of clothes but we don't really need them Things we buy to cover up what's inside Cause they made us hate ourselves and love they wealth. That's why Shorty's hollering where the ball is at. Drug dealer by Jordan, crack here by crack. And the white man get paid off for all of that. But I ain't even gonna act totally up than that. I went to Jacob with 25 pounds. Before I had a house and I do it again. Cause I wanna be your Welcome back to the I Thought Credit Radio Show. This is your host, Ira Royal. Man, we've had an amazing show so far. We have Mr. Mick Todd from Promacy Project Consulting. We had Credit Concepts come back through. We had Mr. Um, Flim Hollis from Hollis Capital Services bless us for his presence. Right now, we're going to move into the portion of the show called Death to the Credit Score, where we focus on behaviors. We focus on the mentality and not just three numbers. What I want to discuss today is the cost of credit. And I'm not talking about high interest rates. I'm not talking about more expensive loans. I'm talking about what you give up from not really being being invested and focused on your credit score, or not only your score, but your financial lifestyle. You know, that cost of credit can show its face in a lot of different ways. It can be, you know, having 
um, missing out on an opportunity to increase your net worth. You know, in the seminar I was in this week, the gentleman said, at one point in your life, you will have somebody approach you with an opportunity. Whether it's an opportunity to invest in a, a startup business or an apartment or something where you have to put some money up and you might not have it and you need to go to a bank and ask for some type of loan product and you can't do it. You missed out on opportunities. There have been a lot of situations like that that have happened and people went from, you know, not having any type of net worth or zero in the bank to multi-millions. You know, a job opportunity. There are a lot of different organizations that check your credit file. But not only that, what it does to you mentally, there are some jobs out here that you are very qualified for that you can do, but you won't even apply to it because you think you can't get it because of your credit score. That's self-defeat. That's you're taking yourself out of the game all because of a fear. And at the end of the day, you don't want to do that to yourself. You want to be confident. You want to be strong. You want to know that, hey, I can do this and nothing's going to hold me back. A school district. Maybe you want to buy where you're living right now is not the best school district, but you want to move. But you can't, you can't qualify for a loan, or you can't live in that apartment because they're going to pull your credit report. That's another thing. That's the cost of credit, having a peace of mind. And to me, that's the most important. Laying down and sleeping at night and not worrying about anybody unveiling those three scores. It's a fear. It's a, it's a real fear. That people dread talking about that score. It's a taboo subject. It's something that everybody says is very personal. Well, it's personal, but it's also a very real thing that people don't want to talk about it because they don't want to be exposed. So the cost of credit can show its face in a lot of different ways. Money, peace of mind, fear, job opportunities, investment opportunities. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to end 2017 making the same, same mistakes? or same type of behaviors, or you're going to get serious about, hey, this area of my life is, is, is really hectic, is unfocused, and I'm going to change that. There are multiple companies out there. There's not just one. Multiple companies out there that can help you. But it all starts with you making a decision. It all starts with you taking it serious. And my challenge to you is, what are you going to do? Don't wait for anybody to do it for you. Take it upon yourself and walk in your purpose and make it happen. So that's the show today, everybody. Again, you know, this show was amazing. It, it energized me. Um, it constantly challenges me to, hey, I want to really give the audience something real, something valuable. I just don't want to get on here and just talk about, you know, things that you hear every day. But I really want to give you something to take back to you, to empower you, to inspire you. To, hey, no matter where I am in life, I can reach my goal. All it's going to take is being proactive, educating myself, and surrounding myself with the right people to help me be successful. So again, we're here every single Thursday, 7 p.m. I talk credit on the Cat Builder Radio Network. I want everybody to have a blessed day. And at the end of the day, if you're interested in coming on the show and sharing any type of wisdom or knowledge, reach out to me at iRoyal at iTalkCredit.com. I would love to have you as a guest. Again, thank you so much, and have a blessed day.